so here Anna Diaz's reaction. So I have my email here and I'm gonna open it up. Lorem Ipsum. Okay, just kidding. All right, I got the email from Jason. I'm going to see what Anna chose for me this week for CrossFit. Um, Kang. We are Kang. <laughs> Not gonna lie, I don't know this album. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also don't know the band. Um, it is Frank Ocean Blonde. You know, I listened to that a couple times and I never really got too into it, so that's good, but uh, man, people love him, so we'll check it out. My thought is that it's some sort of like best of, um, and I will probably be roasted for not knowing this. So, looking forward to diving in and listening for the first time. Welcome to Crossfade, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. I'm your host, Matt Helgeson, joined as always by Jason Daphnis, our producer. Hello, Matt. Hey, Jason. How are you? I'm feeling sluggish, lazy, stupid, and unconcerned. Thank you for asking. <laughs> You've been smoking too much marijuana. A little too much. And we'll get into that, la- we'll get into that later. Um, and uh, we're, we're super happy to uh, have a very special guest today, Ana Diaz. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, thank you. We appreciate you. Uh, you doing this it's it's uh it should be a fun discussion um anna uh if you are you know one of the uh, minmax community or you follow a lot of the minmax uh, content you you've, you're familiar with anna she's also written for verge and polygon and some other places online um about video games and other things and you can uh, find her at pokachi p-o-k-a-c-h-e-e which I w- can we just tell it's a very adorable story i thought about yeah. how you got your twitter handle yeah, of course. Um, so my Twitter namesake is um, what my dad calls Pikachu. So um, for those of you who are new to me, um, I like Pikachu and uh, I've always liked Pikachu. There's um, a photo hanging in my um, dad's house that's like me at age five with one of those uh, sort of talking Pikachus is really cool. You could like squeeze his hand um, <laughs> and his ears would move and his uh, cheeks would light up. And, um, so I've liked Pikachu for a long time and I, (laughs) one day, um, one of my brothers leveled a pretty serious accusation against my dad, which was that he couldn't name more than three Pokemon, even though we've all been playing Pokemon, you know, since we were five years old and over, you know, 15 years at that point. And my dad got really defensive and was like, no, no, I know some of them. And so I was, I was wearing a Pikachu shirt and I was like, okay, yeah. Like what's this one's name? And he looks at it and he's like, Pokachi? Gaspacho? <laughs> <laughs> and so um and so I just thought that that was really cute and fun. So I um it's an homage to my dad. <laughs> yeah, no, that is super funny. I actually was thinking I'm not super versed in like the minutiae of it. So I was like, well, maybe that's a Pokemon I don't know. Like it could be. You know, I would that would be amazing. I should commission an artist to draw like a characterization of what Pokachi would look like. That'd be really cute. That'd be a good present for your dad. Yeah. <laughs> so honest pick this week is a, it's a great album. I think probably one of the most critically acclaimed albums of probably, I don't know, the last decade, at least uh, Frank ocean uh, blonde, his second full length album. And I mean, I think pretty much from the get go, this was almost kind of billed as sort of a classic of kind of whatever his, kind of become this uh la based kind of alternative r&b and hip-hop scene um 
Frank was involved in Odd Future early on with like Tyler the Creator, Earl Sweatshirt. Um, and there's just been a lot of things like Thundercat, Flying Lotus, the internet, Anderson, Anderson Pac, and, and a bunch of people. And I think that uh, it's a really cool scene they've had out there for the, the last decade or so. And I think Blonde is definitely considered one of the best, you know, R&B albums, uh, maybe of all time by some people. Um, I was somewhat familiar with it, but I hadn't really put a lot of time into it. So I was, I was happy that, uh, that I was uh, put in a position to do that. And I've really gotten a lot out of it. But Anna, I guess just to start off, I wanted to ask you, um, what is it about this album that, you know, particularly resonates with you? Why did you pick it? And, and just maybe talk a little bit about Frank Ocean and what he, he means to you. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. Um, when Jason asked me to think of an album, like the first two that came to mind were Channel Orange and Blonde. And I sort of wavered between the two and sat on them and, um, ended up going with Blonde. And, um, I chose Blonde more because of its personal significance to me. Um, Channel Orange was great because, like, I listened to it in high school. Um, and yeah, like, kind of, after listening to odd future and sort of have like a younger have younger memories of that but what i like about blonde is um it was sort of like the soundtrack that i listened to in college and i was growing up and sort of you know going through like a transitional period of my life um and then also i just have like um i i like that album a lot because there are a lot of components to it there's um sort of almost like a live art installation piece that goes along with it. Um, it's more like a, it's just a long video um, where Frank is just sort of doing miscellaneous activities, assembling what looks to be like a set. Uh, and I thought that that was interesting. But then also uh, at the time of its release, um, I was living in Chicago and uh, Frank Ocean had announced like these pop-ups for Blonde throughout the United States and one was in Chicago. And so you could go wait in line and get um, a magazine for the album. And so I happened to be getting dinner with my parents two blocks away from where the pop-up was going to be. So my brother and I went to wait in line and um, we waited in line for hours and I was kind of expecting, it was just a fun experience to be there with my brother. Um, but we ended up getting the last magazines in the entire city uh, and we got them and they're, they're really just large photo books. Like, um, you know, if you bought one in a store, I think it would cost like upwards of $200. So I was absolutely amazed and spent so much time just listening to the album and flipping through the pages of the book. And so kind of had like a stronger memory of that. What about, um, the music in particular kind of resonated with you. You mentioned sort of a transitional period in your life and I, I could, you know, from listening to it, I, I, I think I understand somewhat because this album feels like maybe he's in transition in some ways too. I thought it was a very stark. I also listened to Channel yeah. Orange a lot this week. It's a very stark contrast between those two albums where Channel Orange definitely feels like an announcement of like, hey, I'm like a major new talent in R&B and it's a very expansive album. It's, it's a very confident album, I think. And, and the ambition that he has on that and, and sort of, there's just a bigness to Channel Orange. Yeah. Which is, I think, really contrasted in an interesting way by Blonde, which to me feels like, I, and I, I hate to kind of, you start, you start to play detective where like you, you try to like line up their, you know, gossip about them or, or whatever things. But 
because music isn't just autobiography, obviously it's art, but yeah. it definitely yeah. feels like he's in some sort of transitional period. Yeah. And he's almost, this album to me, I thought, I thought that um, it almost feels like he's hiding in some ways. You know what I mean? It's a mm. very like ghostly album. And sometimes yeah. he's, he plays with his voice. Well, he has a, you know, obviously a, a super strong, you know, very traditional, great R&B voice, but he kind of, you know, makes it almost sound like it's disintegrating. He pitches it up, he pitches it down, he kind of buries it under different yeah. layers of production in, in kind of an interesting way. And I guess, was that part of what resonated with you at that time? Oh, definitely. I mean, um, like there's almost like a sweetness to the album that I really like between Ivy and Pink and White and even sort of like the motherly chastising and be yourself. That sort of really interested me. Um, in addition to having like some really fun kind of uh, more party songs um, like Nights that, you know, would just sing along to um, and have very loving memories of friends, you know, being goofy and singing along to. And like those were and, you know, Nike's was kind of like um, when I was in college, a regular party song and part of that soundtrack. And it oh. was just kind of one of and. And the feeling of like being in a room and having that song come on is just like such an incredible and full feeling. And it's kind of really nicely reflects like this feeling of like sort of what you were talking about just now is like this feeling of uh, almost like being lost in this kind of, it, you know, uh, being lost and buried a bit, but still having something that, you know, reaches out to you and speaks to you on some level. Yeah. Yeah, no, we should we should start with Nike's. It's obviously the first song in the album. It kind of sets the tone, I think, in a, in a, in a way. It, it's really it's 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 very interesting to me here. You say that it was like a party song, because me just coming to it as a listener, it feels you know almost it's very spare. It's very dark. It's not what I would normally consider like an R and B party song. And there's obviously references to like Travion Martin, mm -hmm. Pimp C, ASAP Yams, people that had died. Um, so to me, it was almost very kind of like spared, almost sort of like paranoid. Um, but yeah, that's that's an interesting dynamic, I guess. Well, maybe that's just like 20th century, you know, the party of the 20th century is kind of inherently dark, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. And that's the thing is like we were listening to that, um, you know, after the 2016 election. And so like our sort of sense of selves had been shaken a lot and. Um, you know, Philando Castile had been murdered in our own city and we were really starting to like rethink ourselves and like our ideas and, um, you know, it very realistically, like it wasn't a great time. So the music almost, you know, reflects that. And like, when I say parties, it's not like, you know, giant bangers, it's, you know, smaller groups of people sort of yeah. coming together to feel connection at a time where we felt very lost i guess no but, but yeah I, I didn't think of the timing of 2016 but that that's when it came out and obviously if channel orange is maybe like an obama era album blonde feels maybe like a trump era but we should let's let's listen to nikes because i think it's a it's a great opener and it really sets the tone of this album in a very kind of dramatic way
for a check Tell him it ain't likely Said she need a ring like Carmelo You must be on that white like Othello All you want is Nikes But the real ones Just like you Just like me It's, it's a really that groove is just very cinematic to me and, and very yeah and I mean even you know um, listening to it now like the sort of pitched up voice was something that you know I hadn't heard of a lot of before and so this album was just kind of immediately interesting for me to hear um, and it always stuck with me yeah, the, the the pitched up voice is is really cool. I think it works very well. It also reminds me. The only thing it really reminded me of is their um, uh, Prince mm. on part of on part of um, basically part of Sign of the Times. There's a few songs like Housequake and If I Was Your Girlfriend where he uses a pitched up voice. And Prince had actually concocted this alter ego named Camille, who was mm-hmm. sort of this like a woman character, and he actually did a whole album that was sort of shelved, and parts of it were sort of distributed on. Sign of the Times and some other albums, but I don't know if he's referencing that specifically. He seems like he's kind of a student of like R and B, and I'm sure Prince was probably an influence to him. But yeah, I just it's interesting to me that that you know in both those cases, people with just like super super strong um, voices, you know, and, and great singing voices are kind of intentionally kind of trying to do obscure it in certain ways, you know, and 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 sort of hide behind these sort of different yeah. filters and pitch things yeah. it's sort of an interesting but it, i think it works you know i don't know if it would i don't know if it would work as well or, or seem quite as uh alien to me if it was a normal voice yeah well and you know even like this whole theme of hiding like on the cover of the album you can't you know see his face like the hands covering the face of the subject and so that's there and like frank ocean himself is like a very sort of um um mystical almost figure not as public as other artists you know not doing frequent tours and stops um Mm -hmm. and is very hidden artist and so uh, i think your point is really nice because it that is reflected in his music as well yeah that i mean it's funny to me how easy or i i think more artists should think of this but like in an era of like social media, when all artists are sort of like just posting on Instagram, like what they're eating for lunch, there's a real power, I think, for certain artists that they don't reveal a lot of themselves. You know, I think you see that with with Frank. You know, Prince obviously did that his entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Radiohead, that's a band that doesn't do a lot of interviews. Um, you know, uh, uh, Kendrick Lamar doesn't do a lot of interviews. So I think it's kind of an interesting thing that he sort of 
you build a mystique in, and maybe in, in some ways it, it almost can help your career because I think people, everyone's so available now and it kind of, there's really no mystique around artists like there used to be. I think, you know, there's a power in sort of not revealing yourself. Oh, definitely. And I think it sort of keeps people on the edge of their seat. And, um, you know, for channel, you know, this is coming after channel orange. Um, I'm not sure how many years had passed, but it, it had, there was a large gap between channel orange and blonde and like Frank Ocean just straight up didn't, you know, say when the next album was going to come out. And so when it finally did, when this, it did, you know, the expectations were piled so high because people didn't think that he could make an album quote unquote better than channel orange. Um, there's sort of like that sophomore slump or whatnot. Um, but then he, he came out with it and really, really just knocked it out of the park. And I wonder if part of that has to do with him, you know, really limiting his public exposure and taking his time and not sort of following like the usual, I guess, like product cycle of, okay, here's the set path. You have this album, you have X number of years to produce the next one. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, no, I, I yeah. Because a lot, especially in like in hip hop and R and B, you know, it's like some rappers put out like three things in a year now, you know, just to kind of keep mm -hmm. mixtapes going. Mm -hmm. um, I, I like the next song. I think is is it's cool because it, it follows it up, and it's a very different feel. It's almost got sort of an indie rock feel to certain degrees. But this is just to me an example of just like kind of really just good old fashioned like songwriting. You know, it's not a complicated thing. It's not yeah really complicated in terms of production or even the chord structure. But it's just it's a very strong chord change and it's, it's a very strong vocal. The song's Ivy. Um, and this one is another, I think another um, theme that I, at least for me kind of was felt throughout the album. It's sort of, uh, even though he, I mean, he kind of been that old, he was probably like what 27 or something, but it, it, a lot of nostalgia, like a lot of kind of looking back, I think mm -hmm. in, in some ways to, to his childhood, um, which is kind of interesting for such a young, a young man. But um Let's listen to Ivy, because I just thought this was just a really, it's a strong melody, it's a great chorus, and it's just a, a well-written song. I thought that I was dreaming when you said you loved me. The start of nothing, I had no chance to prepare, I couldn't see you coming. The start of nothing, ooh, I could hit you now. It's quite all right. That's just to me that's just so strong he's such a strong vocalist and i think it takes a lot of guts to just let it be that simple too you know where it's just like it's your voice on display it's your song it's your lyrics on display and there's not a lot really between the listener and that you know i mean it's yeah well and just the the lyrics are so 
on display, but like they come through in such a strong way. Um, like I didn't see you coming, the start of nothing. Um, I'm I'm not always the kind of person who listens to a song for lyrics. I tend to go for more instrumentals, more sort of um, kind of like the feeling of music. Mm-hmm. But then listening to that song, I you know you can hear him so clearly, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, I just I just love this album. <laughs> yeah, it's great, and I mean. The, the interesting part of that song, too, is that it's probably, I mean, to me, it didn't even feel that much part of, like, really R&B or hip-hop access music. I mean, I, I could really, I could hear a full band doing that, like a, a more of an indie rock band doing that song, you know, the, just the way mm-hmm. it's kind of arranged. And Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. The, the, those are, the lyrics are, I think, are, are, you know, I think everyone, no matter what your age, you know, has certain, you know, times, whether that's high school or junior high or whatever that is, you know you kind of think back to and i think it's just a very universal a universal song that you know i think just they had the guts to just let it stand for what it was and and they didn't feel to add they didn't need to add a lot of layers to it you know and just kind of let that shine through which i think is cool because it follows a song where you know the voice is kind of very treated and obscure and then you're sort of like wow oh yeah this guy he's just like a great a great soul singer yeah yeah well and even what you're saying about the song sort of being like a um sounding more indie like i think that you know there is such a universal appeal in this and there's such a range in this and that like he's bringing in you know like i know mitski fans that love this album and like just like this all um or like phoebe waller's bridget like all these different you know sort of um more feminine sounds that come through in this song um that sort of like expanded his appeal from like the very angry um rap that you know i knew him from odd future yeah yeah and i mean that's probably i i I hesitate to you know read too much into it but i i just knowing what i know about odd future i feel like there's sort of a they never really officially broke up but they seem to sort of splinter in certain ways you know like earl sweatshirt was over in africa for a while i don't think he seems to work with like tyler any of those guys and it it was sort of a very tight-knit crew that seems to sort of just I mean, like a lot of a lot of groups of people that you hang out with in your early twenties, you know, they sort of scatter, you know, to a certain degree. And I, I almost wonder if that sort of informs some of this stuff as well. Yeah, well, and I mean, again, <laughs> I hate to do like the reading into it um, too much. Again, like the you're saying, it's not necessarily like personal essay, um, but I think something that Frank and you know, even tying to Prince, that Frank Ocean does really well is like he's you know kind of out as like bisexual and has this very kind of like ambiguous um sort of plays up like androgynous identity and sort of like brings in these different you know both feminine and masculine energy into his music and i um wonder if this you know is like an expression of that of like this sweeter quieter side Um, yeah um let's see what i have a lot of songs i have notes on here um i i think Let's listen to a little pink and white. Uh, I like this song. This is probably the song that reminded me most of Channel Orange in terms of just it, its general yeah, vibe. Yeah, makes and sense. It, it, yeah, it's, probably, it's very LA. Like, yes, very LA. He's a very LA artist, though. You know, I mean, oh, in, yeah. in a good way. Like, yeah, it's, you know, I, I feel like LA just you know has had a good vibe to me for the last like decade or so. You know, everything from like I said, Kendrick and even jazz guys like Kamasi mm-hmm. Washington to like. Mm-hmm. 
even like insecure the show insecure to me is mm-hmm. kind of feels a piece of some of this stuff oh so. definitely well let's, and let's, that, oh yeah no go no just that um i question myself picking frank at all because i'm like well i'm not like i've never lived in la like i don't know the city can i even like talk about these um but i mean we could get into a little bit more about just like how it sort of breaks outside of that but that was something i was thinking about too is like oh what would it be like to be from la and sort of listen to these yeah let's listen to pink and white Yeah, I just I love that groove. It's just a great kind of like driving kind of song. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of it's almost hazy, very um, sultry and relaxing. I've listened to this song a lot driving in my car. Yeah, and like I said, this is probably the one that I thought could could have fit on Channel Orange if of, the, of any of these songs. Because it's a little bit more of a convent. I mean, I don't want to say conventional in a bad sense, but it, it, this is definitely to me more of like a, an R&B song. You know what I mean? That's like. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's the same way you showed me. Cannonball off the porch side. All the kids trying off the roof. Just the same way you showed me. You showed. I also, um. There's another song uh, that's right after this that I think, you know, we were kind of talking a little about about California and um, the next song I wanted to get into was Solo, um, which just Jason from the beginning through the chorus. But uh, the the chorus of this right now, like with everything going on in California, um, and I know that there were wildfires going on back then as well, but it seems very kind of eerie in some senses now to hear this song. Um, and I think this is another great one where his vocals are just very forward in the mix and, and he just kind of demonstrates his range and his command of his voice and his ability to just kind of come up with very infectious, very original uh, vocal melodies. And I, I, this is, you know, another one of the songs where I think it's just his talent is pretty on display. Hand me a towel, I'm dirty dancing by myself, gone off tabs, but I asked for me a circle, watch my jagger, might lose my jacket and hit a solo. One time We too loud in public Them police turned down a function Now we outside and the time is perfect Forgot to tell you, Gotta tell you how much I vibe with you And we don't gotta be solo And I stay away from highways My eyes like them red lights Right now I prefer yellow Red bone So mellow Fuck around be cutting you Think we were better off solo I got that act right in the windy city that night. No trees to blow through, but blow me, and I owe you two grams in the sunrise. Smoking good, rolling solo. 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 
impressive voice right there Mm -hmm. yeah well and something that i love about this song is the sort of lower use of the organs in the background and the sort of spacey feeling um makes it feel really spacious and allows his voice to feel kind of alone just like you know the name of the song yeah, definitely. I like the organs too because it almost brings me to like a almost like a church music kind of feel. Oh, definitely. And even the his vocals on display um, is sounds almost kind of like gospel inspired, um, singing about the bull and the matador in heaven, and um, and it's this interesting fusion of uh, church sounds and rap. Yeah. No. It. It. That. And, you know, it's hell on earth and the city's on fire, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> oh, just so, yeah. Yeah, a little too ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, in, not maybe in the best way, but, you know, you can't, uh, you can't help that. Um, I, I did want to have, this is more of an instrumental part, because uh, they use a lot of really cool, I think, synthesizer textures and different uh, musical textures on this album. Uh, and on, on this part in particular, um, song Skyline, Jason at 126, there's these really kind of woozy, almost like seasick kind of analog synths that come in. Um, and I just like this mostly. It reminds me of a, a band, a, 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 well, a band, group, an electronic group I like called Boards of Canada a lot. And um, they're kind of on the weirder edge of electronic stuff. But it, it sort of totally reminded me of that, uh, this part in Skyline, which I, I thought was really pretty. Want to film a tape on a speedboat? We smell a Californication. Everything grows in the Congo. Everything grows. Ooh, can you come when I call again? I just love those kind of analog synth sounds. It's really kind of like. Well, they're so fun and they just sort of meander and it, they just take their own course and it's almost like he's letting them go wherever they want. Yeah. I just kind of always imagine like kind of like Super 8 film footage of just like, you know, driving and stuff. When I hear those sounds, it always takes me to that kind of like 70s film grainy kind of quality. Yeah. And like, oh, like there's something alien in, in town. Because I'm stronger, Congo is down. Smoke. And comes the morning. Smoke. And comes the morning. Ah. 
Well, and even with this um, song, like there's the mentions of um, smoke and haze and, and so like very much, you know, bringing the city into his music. It's like so present here. Yeah. So real quick, before we get into some of the other, I think, notable songs, I really, because it's really cool to me that on both his albums, he's gotten verses from Andre 3000 from Outkast, who mm-hmm. is a really kind of weird now, you know, it's, it's been God over a decade. I don't know since the last Outkast, he sort of disappeared. He does very few guest appearances in this uh, solo reprise is just to me, a reminder of why I think Andre 3000 is one of, I don't know for me, top five rappers, maybe of all time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and I've seen some people come out and say like, this is the best Andre vo- uh, Andre verse of all time, which I don't know Andre mm. well enough to do that. Um, but it's certainly like got all the characteristics of him. And um, are we going to listen to it? Yeah. I, I, okay. I, just because to me, it's really significant because he does. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't done. I bet he hasn't done 15 verses since Outcast broke up. He did something on the Tribe Called Quest record. You know, he's done. Uh, inter- uh, yeah, a few things. But this is to me is just like a rapper just going off. You know, like a yeah, pure command of everything, amazing lyrics, phrasing, just complete original. And I think you know, it's it's notable to me that he he chose to work with Frank, and I think that probably says something about Frank as well. Eh, eh, so now I'm solo that I can see under the skirt of an ant. Solo that I don't get high no more when I turn no more. I just go hand. Solo my cup is a rojo, my cholo, my friend. Solo that I can admit. When I hear that another kid is shot by the popo, it ain't an event No more Solo that no more high horse is so hard to wear polo When I do, I cut the pony off, now there's a hole that once was a logo How fitting Solo that I can give a fuck about what is trending Trying to cut down on my spending regardless of winning Instead of pretending and bending over backwards Over half of the whole had work done Saying they want something real from a man Just saying that we being real persons I hate that it's like this, I feel for you And I don't know what it's like with a skirt on So part of me if I am being insensitive But darling, this only works, sons Solo my halo, say waylo, it feel like it's been Solo that when they throw pussy or pesos Don't pay no attention to it Solo that I am no rookie but feel like a kid Looking at the other kids With astonishment while I'm on punishment Watching the summer come close to an end after 20 years in, I'm so naive I was under the impression that everyone wrote their own verses. It's coming back different, and yeah, that shit hurts me. I'm humming and whistling to those not deserving. I stumbled and lived every word. Was I working just way too hard? I, th- I when I listen to that, I think it is so much um, brighter than the rest of the album, even though obviously it, it feels, it's still sad. Like the difference in sort of pacing is kind of like this little breather um, from some of these longer, more drawn out songs. And I, I just think Andre's kind of funny in this. Like he does the classic, you know, say kind of make like a derogatory comment towards a woman, uh, but then like apologizes. It's like, <laughs> yeah. he does all the time. Yeah. Um, like Miss Jackson kind of is that. Yeah. Uh, but then like the piano, how the piano chords come in at the end, just like sort of drive his voice. And I just love that. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and just from a, t- I mean, especially the end part where he, he starts rapping about like rappers that don't write their own lyrics and stuff. Like mm-hmm. the yeah. phrasings he's getting in and out of there, so rapid fire is just pretty staggering. Like it, it's, it's just the level of control he has over his like phrasing and stuff just is pretty. Always been pretty mind blowing to me, and so it was good to hear him. I wish he'd do another album, but I don't know if he's ever going to. Last time I saw him, I, somebody saw him at a at a airport, and he, he had a custom made like. It was almost like an ocarina, like this big, long, dual 
thing that he was just like walking around an airport terminal, just like oh, playing this weird like double I, flute thing. I think I remember the images from that. Um, like people on, you know, the Twitter sphere freaked out. <laughs> They're like, why is Andre? <laughs> I think because at first the person wasn't sure. It was like, oh, you know, but then they confirmed it. It was like, oh, no, he's just there. Yeah, he's out. He's out there just living his life. Um, vibing. <laughs> uh, the next song I wanted to get to, I get the sense uh, from some of the things that I've read that this is definitely considered maybe the core of the album uh, by some people. It's it was funny. I actually there's a the song Nights and it it's it's sort of a song that switches beats very dramatically. Maybe like I don't know recently like Sicko Mode by Travis Scott did that a lot. Um, it has this beat switch at three thirty and apparently that beat switch is very iconic. There's even like t-shirts of like a uh, waveform with like that mm-hmm. beat switch, like highlighted and like people make t-shirts of it. So yeah. Um, well, and there's a bit of like an interesting sort of fan interest in that um, because there is a pretty significant beat switch in channel orange in one of the songs um, in pyramids. And so everyone was like, Oh, how is he going to up that? Like, how's he going to, you know, do it better? Um, like, than that and so like there is kind of like hype behind this very specific um element of like how he writes his songs and so i think people were looking for this actively too as they picked it up for the first time i I couldn't i didn't verify that this was true but i read an article about nights and it says that that beat switch at 3 30 actually if you had the whole running time of the album that is actually the the dead center of of the the total runtime which i like i said i didn't do the math because i'm bad yeah but that's, that would be cool if it's true. That, that would be really cool. <laughs> so let's listen to Nights because it's, it's it's kind of an eerie track, and I think it, it sums up a lot of maybe the album. So, Jason, let's do the listen to some of the, the first half from the beginning, and then maybe we'll go to the beat switch that, you know, it's sort of a iconic thing. Round your city, round the clock. Everybody needs you. No, you can't make everybody equal. Although you got Buku family, you don't even got nobody being honest with you. Breathe till I evaporated. My whole body see through transportation handmade. And I know it better than most people. I don't trust them anyways. You can't break the law with them. It's some good she have a calm night Shooters killing left and right Working through your worst night If I get my money right You know I won't need you Can I tell you I hope the sack is full up I'm fucking no, I'm fucked up Spend it when I get that I ain't trying to keep you Can't keep up a conversation Can't nobody read you Why your eyes well up did you call me from a seance? You were from my past life. Hope you're doing well, bro. I've been out here head first. Always like the head first. Signal coming in and out. Yeah, again, in the lyrics there, you know, I think through this whole album, there's a lot of distance between him and people, you know? I think he <laughs> constantly seems to ref. He seems to be referencing people in as if they've sort of lost touch um, over the years, I think, a lot on this album, which is sort of an interesting theme. Let's hear the uh, let's hear the beat switch uh, at three thirty because this is such a great groove it gets into it's unbelievable. I like this kind of rock like Hendrix kind of build up too. 
I am like new to R&B. I'm not going to say new, but I'm not most familiar. I'm no scholar of R&B, rap, or hip hop. So when I hear a beat switch, I assume it's a new track every single time. And it makes me feel like they're two separate songs, but knowing that they're one song really changes my opinion of like how I see this whole track. Well, and something that I like about um, this beat change is sort of his, the change in singing style. Um, like he sort of alters his voice like slightly in in both the uh, before and after. Um, and here we get a little bit um, of the pitched up, but not quite as pitched up as Nike's. It's more nasally. Yeah, this just has a very like 2 a.m. kind of feel to it. I mean, obviously it's nights, but. That's a good song. Um, are there any other ones, uh, Anna, that you particularly? I mean, there's some other ones that like White Ferrari is really great. Um, yeah, you know, Future Futura is great. Um, yeah, well, I think um, Futura Free is a really interesting um, track. I think something that I like about it is like, you know, in I don't I'm trying to think like timestamps for that specifically. Um, but like in that song, you know, um, he's interviewing kids in it and it almost sounds like he gives a kid a recorder and like told a kid like, hey, go um, sort of like record anything you want to hear. And, you know, sort of bringing back that nostalgia. And like you were saying, he's a young person or he's young, but still this album is like deeply nostalgic. And I think a lot of his music really is. But I always sort of joke um, that I um, I have a friend who is runs the website for LA Review of Books for like podcast reviews. And I was him like, oh, I'm going to write a piece about how Futura Free is like my favorite uh, piece of like audio journalism, um, because it is sort of like this very um, experimental uh, piece of sort of of just audio like it is a song but it it's also a little more than that yeah let's let's listen to that i think you know we could maybe start at the beginning um i think there's some interesting references at 208 he starts kind of talking about tupac and um you know there's always the thing that tupac disappeared he didn't die and he's like living on some island somewhere this is sort of idea of like wanting to uh escape a little bit i thought was kind of interesting so maybe let's try 208 based Pull a zip down. Wet your lips first, lick the tip now. Smoke some. Thank you. 
ride and let you run your phone, good luck. I know you love to talk. I ain't on your schedule. I ain't on no schedule. I ain't had me a job since 2009. I ain't on no sales floor. You see, I'm changing up. I feel like Selena. They wanna murder a nigga. Murder me like Selena. You must ain't get the memo. I don't cut bitches no more. But your bitch, my exception. Come get out of my photo. I only got one photo. Remember when I had that Lexus? No, my friendship don't go back that far. Tyler slept on my sofa, yeah Niggas go back that far I ain't smoked all yet This the last song, so I finna wipe that off Tolerance is so low Still smoke yeah. Again, you know, it's just I, You know, there's references to Tupac References to Selena The uh, um, Mexican singer that was who was murdered You know, kind of like, I don't know Just it just feels like these memories that are sort of disintegrating. And I think Jason, let's try to skip ahead and find that. I don't know what the exact time frame stamp is, but uh, the ending, you know, it's, it's almost like these, like you said, these uh, kind of childlike yeah. interviews and innocent interviews that are sort of, you know, disintegrating like into static a little bit. All right. Uh, what three superpowers do you wish you had? Oh, my bad. I say it again. Yeah, and see, there's like, it's almost, um, like, as far as, you know, melodies go, this isn't the most interesting part of the album to listen to, but, you know, I... I think what's interesting about this album is like you sort of get out what you put into it. And this is a good example of that is like, if you really sink your teeth into this track, like even though it's not melodically interesting, like this is almost like a, it's almost like surprising (laughs) in a sense to, to hear this at this point and sort of ties back to the, um, the be yourself track with the, recording of the mom chastising <laughs> that is pretty funny <laughs> yeah it's just it's, it's it's interesting it's you know i i definitely understand why it struck a nerve but at the same time i always think it's kind of cool and interesting when albums that are really kind of very weird albums you know, sort of achieve like this kind of mass success and, and resonate with large groups of people. So I always think that's a, a, a great thing that can sometimes happen in music. Maybe it's harder now in some ways, but um, yeah, it's just, you know, this is not like how you would end a successful like R&B pop record, you know, with no, you know, found no. sounds kind of <laughs> for five minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it really feels like you're a five-year-old in a park and you're walking around and like asking people with like a, a shitty recorder, like, you know, yeah. Like what superpowers would you have? Like, what do you do? I play soccer. Well, I mean, I'd like to just listen to one more uh, section. I'd like to hear Jason, like white Ferrari at 121. And I think this is another 
area, a song where the yeah, the, the really so, spare yeah. arrangements yeah. and the strength of his vocals and and lyrics really shine through. Um, and, and I think this is also one of the real standout tracks on the album. You said one twenty one. Matt, you must have heard the Beatles in there, right? Yeah, I was just going to say that. It's, just, it's very classic, like, songwriting stuff. I mean, like, an, a direct interpolation of uh, Here, There, and Everywhere. Making each day. Oh, I didn't know I didn't think yeah. of that, but yeah. I love that part so much. One too many years Yeah, I really like sort of the large chasm of sound that he creates with this song and like all the voices coming together. Um, The album does that so infrequently, right? Like it's an album of pretty understated, cool motifs and then just suddenly it'll explode with emotion here and there. And that's when you really get to hear those like chorus swells and symphony hits and stuff. It makes them really impactful to me. Do they do they land like that for you or is it like just incidental? Oh no, definitely. I mean um I think that um he you know it's it's almost like moody in that way right like you don't you know he's holding himself in like and he's holding himself away from us and like distancing himself away from us but i think in those moments like we do get a little closer to him like but just for those moments yeah 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 the arrangements are so spare in general that i think that when they do add an interesting element it just has a lot more impact because it's sort of like you know Sometimes there's these little, you know, jolts of like bigness where he might turn his own voice into a chorus and things like that. And I think it kind of, it, it sticks out and has so much more impact because the album is so generally fairly spare and has a lot of space on mm-hmm. it. Well, I feel like, you know, we covered a lot of stuff. I wanted on anything else uh, that you wanted to talk about or, I mean, it's, um, it's a great album. Yeah. I mean, I guess one thing that we haven't talked about is like, there's the Facebook story, and I think that's a really interesting song because, like, um, like I said, I was in college at the time this came out, and I didn't really hear any. I wasn't, or at least I wasn't as like familiar with music that was like, directly commenting on social media, um, and it almost, you know, feels like he sort of, he sort of led that, and like actually, you know, like thinking through like relevant things, you know, like oh, what is the meaning of, you know, that sort of interaction. And, um, but like, I, it's not, again, it's like, um, it's sort of like this other example of 
you know, like another character. We get all these little characters through the story mm-hmm. through um yeah. the audio samples and um Yeah, let's listen to it, Jason. It's such a short track and it is kind of an interesting narrative element that kind of is introduced with a you know, a very different voice um than his. No, I was just telling that I got this this girl before and I was together since three years and uh, I was not even cheating her or what and Facebook arrived and uh, she wanted me to accept her on Facebook and I don't want it because I was like in front of her in front of her and she told me like accept me on Facebook this was virtual means no sense this is uh, the same music that plays underneath the later like kid recordings right she's starting to be crazy she thought oh I don't know I'm not sure I know that this music it's really you know it's it's really sad and actually um there's a version of like just those instrumentals online on YouTube. And it is like, I don't know, has like millions of views because it's really popular because it's just like relaxing and, and sad and um, very evocative tone to sort of put under this funny guy telling this story about Facebook. Mm-hmm. You know, virtual thing. Yeah. But I mean that, you know, now that I think about it, it kind of does ties into a lot of those things of distance between people you know, and maybe what kind of distance uh, social media has sort of introduced into in people's interpersonal relationships and the passage of time. It kind of distorts the passage of time in certain ways, um, which is interesting. I mean, it's, there's a lot going on in this album, I think, is one of the reasons. I, I suspect it's one of the reasons it, it probably did resonate so deeply with a lot of different, a lot of different people and a lot of people. Um, yeah, and it's interesting because it's like, you know, again, it, it is... Definitely, you know, top three albums, I guess, maybe my favorite album, like, it was the album that certainly came to mind, like, I've probably listened to it the most. And it's still so hard for me, what I'm finding throughout this podcast, if listeners can't tell already, is it is hard to pin down. And it's, it's been hard for me to talk about because the, you know, connection is like, kind of so special and sort of um, ineffable, like its effect. And um, I you know, it's, um, it's a deeply impactful mm. <laughs> package of music. My, my friend, Harry Mackin, he described it as his, uh, desert Island album and said that it's an album that has completely universal themes and only means anything to Frank ocean at the same time, you know? And I think that's what you're yeah. scratching at is like, you can read whatever you want into this. You can read simple themes. You can read really complex, really deeply emotional stuff, or you can read, you know, about, your own uh, sort of internal emotional struggles. You know, it's, it's quite a thing. It's, I think it's frankly like a masterpiece, at least until his next album comes out. Oh yeah, definitely. Which was why I was like, Oh, do I actually want to talk about a masterpiece on this show? Um, The sort of pressure that comes with that. Um, Hey, I think we've been doing a great job. Well, (laughs) and I think it's important to just, you know, get that, you know, get it out there and, um, sort of you know i can only speak to my experience of mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. yeah no i mean I, and jason to your point i think that's i think sometimes the albums last though because they aren't easily interpreted you know what i mean that there's some big amb- ambiguity to yeah. it you know what i mean that that it's not something you can sort of just digest and be like okay i get right. it you and, know on to the next and one, like you're so. saying that's frank ocean's whole thing right he fucked off to london after his last album was a hit and just became 
like the biggest star with his 2016 release, you know, like he disappeared for four years, did nothing with anybody except music and production and like just pissing off and managed to pull this out of it. It's, it's crazy. And, you know, people are still sort of untangling the mystery of it today. Absolutely. Well, Anna, thanks for picking this. I think it was a great discussion and I was, you know, is I listened to it a couple of times, but I didn't really give it probably the attention that it deserved at the time. So it was, it's been a lot of fun to uh, kind of delve into it more deeply and, and learn to appreciate it that way. No, oh, and thank you for, you know, talking it through with me. I, it's really fun to talk about this album with, you know, someone who thinks about music a lot more than I do. Uh, it helps me like think about other aspects of the album or this conversation has and sort of bring to light um, different themes. And so. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I mean, that's hopefully that's, you know, what the, what the show's about. It's always fun to just talk about music with people. because Everyone, you know, interprets it differently and means different things to different people, which is sort of where the great thing about it. Um, Let's uh, let's move on to my pick, which is uh, 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 well. See, here's the thing: they they were called King. Yeah, this guy. Now too. it seems like they they are we are King. What I'm suspecting is just given that name, I almost guarantee there was some rock band from like the 70s called King yeah. that like put out like two failed records on like, Atlantic <laughs> or something. And, like, suit, you know, like gave them a cease and desist order. Um, they're an interesting um, band in that I. First, somebody put me onto this a long time ago, and for a while, this album was just up on SoundCloud. Like the whole thing was done. Oh, really? Yeah, and they it sort of I think got it sort of somewhat of a buzz because it they're a much different group, but I, I think like Frank Ocean, they have a very uh, distinctive and unique kind of sound and whole approach to how they make music. Um, it, it's basically uh, it's two sisters, uh, uh, Paris Struther and Kimber, uh, and also Anita Bias. Uh, who is, I think, left the band. But um, they're interesting. They're from Minneapolis. They moved to L.A., started making music. Um, Paris and Anita met at the Berkeley School of Music, which is one of the more you know prestigious you know music performance schools in the country. And I think Paris had a background in like you know learning about instrumentation and arrangement. You can sort of tell there's a level of kind of very schooled you know kind of I think musicianship on this album. But it got a lot of bu- buzz. Um, Prince at the end of his life had really taken a liking to the, to King um, and gave them some advice. He advised them not to sign with any major labels to, to put it out on their own, which they did. And literally this is probably one of the, this almost has to be the craziest first show. Their first show ever was opening for Prince at the LA forum. That's incredible. Holy crap. They had never played out live. Prince liked them and just said, you got to come out and do this. And they did it, which I, I just, <laughs> it's just like insane to me. Yeah, the pressure there must have been crazy. Um, so yeah, this is a it's it's a kind of a cool record to me because it, it has such a kind of dreamlike vibe to me. Um, but it also kind of calls back to a lot of R and B stuff that's not super fashionable right now, like very like eighties kind of almost like Quiet Storm kind of R and B stuff. And but at the same time, it's almost kind of trippy to me in some ways, like because the there's so many multi layered vocals and and kind of cool synth textures. So this was I, I picked it because I. For some reason, it's one of those albums that didn't stick with me right away, but then I kept coming back to it, and then I, I've listened to it a lot. I listen to it while I work a lot, because it's kind of very calming to me. Um, but I didn't really know how both of you would take it, because it, it's, it's definitely different than a lot of things that are going on right now. So I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, for, for you, Anna, and, and yeah. Jason, how you, how you kind of like this album and, and reacted to it. 
Well, I'm going to be honest, like I um, was almost embarrassed when I listened to it because my initial response was like, wow, this is so incredibly like just all the things that I love. Um, (laughs) And so like I um, was kind of surprised that I hadn't heard of them as a group, but then just like just enjoyed listening to it so much like off the bat. And um, I think like I the dreamy synthy sort of like ethereal feelings just like exactly what I you know needed and I think um there's there was really like a lot a lot that I I liked about this and also like a really great album to put into conversation with Blonde as well I think yeah I mean I think I, I definitely when I was listening to Blonde I thought of some similarities and there's sort of a like you said the ethereal kind of aspect Whereas, whereas Blonde definitely has a lot of darkness to it. I think this album, to me, always kind of like puts me in a very kind of calm kind of yeah. place. It, it's, it mm-hmm. seems like there's a sort of very like almost zen kind of thing to this. Yeah. I don't, go ahead. Well, no, it just, it really, there's something nice about listening to it right now during the pandemic because it really does feel like it sort of whisks you away to like a, a secret lagoon somewhere. <laughs> you get to listen to this, yeah. you know? I, I love it. It's like, it's like, it's like. It's like bubble bath music. You yeah. know what I mean? Like mm-hmm, you got, you got mm-hmm. your little table thing, you got your mm-hmm. like Chardonnay. I'm mm-hmm. reading like a girl dad's guide to like bossing like a freaking boss. <laughs> just like just kicking back, you know what I mean? Uh I love all these comparisons. My like cultural frame of reference for this is it sounds like music that plays during a really good run of Sonic R. Anybody ever play Sonic R, the racing <laughs> like the foot racing game? No. Has, Man, I vaguely no. remember it has such that. Soulful I, art, like, Un, out of out of scope for what that game really needed type like um r&b music really really good and iconic if you find it on youtube it'll stick in your head um and the time that it hit me best i think if i can go ahead and just kick us off with the greatest it is the second track on uh, we are king oh. and i think it sets the tone really well for the like 80s uh and very poppy vibe we're we're talking about here all the elements of just like really solid 80s r&b pop um matt and and you too Anna, if you have any insight here is this an, an album with minneapolis sound i know that they recorded it in los angeles and i've been trying to pin down the concept of the minneapolis sound beyond just prince does this um, have it and what does that sound like here uh i mean i don't know if i necessarily call it the minneapolis sound i feel like it's not well, I mean, there was guys like Alexander O'Neill or, uh, you know, some of the Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis stuff or like Janet Jackson, I could see. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, the song that most reminds me of, there's this song called Night and Day by Al B. Sure. Was this like 80s singer? It kind of reminds me of that. But yes, I think it's a little more like, 
I don't know. Minneapolis sound always felt kind of uh, not tense, but sort of insistent to me. And this mm-hmm. is so so kind of like dreamlike. And I, I'm not sure where you know where all their influences. I did read some stuff that they are. They have some influences like outside of R and B, uh, particularly this band called the Cocteau Twins from England that were very kind of like imagine like sort of Enya meets like Joy Division or something wow. like that. Um, and they're a big fan of uh, Liz Frazier, their vocalist, who kind of she actually sang in sort of a made up language of her own. Um, but they had very kind of lush textures like this. But, but yeah, I don't know. There's just something very subtly. In, it, the songs are so calming and kind of. Uh, you almost feel like you've heard them before, but I, mm-hmm. I think sometimes that obscures like how good they are at layering stuff and and the way that the three of them, uh, their vocals interact in those harmonies, is is really impressive. It really is quite beautiful. Um, Anna, or sorry, Anna, I've got some of your timestamps here. Uh, do you want to call anything up from this album? Yeah, please do. Um, so, where to go? Yeah, and you feel free to drive, you know, like what you wanted to talk about in this segment, like your timestamps. Yeah. Um, well, one song that I really, um, that really stuck with me off this album was Carry On um, in around like 153, 150-ish. Um, again, it's sort of, I like this one because is the texture sort of seemed to like rock back and forth, um, kind of like a boat, and it's just very lullaby like i guess um so i would love to to give that a listen all right here it comes You know, earlier we were talking about how kind of comforting and relaxing it is. And I think this song very much sort of embodies that. Um, and it's literally about just kind of floating by and persisting on, but in a very relaxed way. Yeah, one thing that I noticed about this album, especially when listening to it back to back with Blonde, was like Blonde often starts without like super clear structure or rhythm. And this album is very much a rhythm first album. So I think that's where like some of that comfort comes in is you know kind of what's going to come next. There are a few times it switches things up, but often it's, I won't call it easy listening, but yeah, it's, it's fairly easy to listen to. And it was, it's such a like great compliment, I think, to listening to Blonde, which always has you in your thoughts and in your feelings about the music. It's nice to just be able to like coast a little bit with We Are King. I think, I think I read that they they actually performed, produced, uh, and basically everything to this album. Is that right, Matt? Yeah, it's pretty impressive. I was actually looking at some live footage uh, that you can find in various places or radio appearances. Uh, one that was really interesting just to kind of see, see them in a totally different context. They did a couple songs for the current, uh, 89.3, which is a radio station here in Minneapolis. Um, and that's interesting because they didn't like bring any of their equipment and it's just Paris on a grand piano and the other two singing. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting just to see like, you know, without all the production, how, you know, just talented they are in that sense. And then the interesting part that I saw in some of the other ones is like, 
their live setup is basically the the um the two of them on on vocals and then paris just kind of sits there with like a bunch of different synthesizers and like drum machines and stuff and she's kind of like live performing all this music on synth as and also harmonizing them so dang i mean they're yeah they're pretty you, talented you kind of get an idea of, of why they caught prince's eye or ear i guess yeah totally because you know ultimately prince is like a super pro you know what i mean and he just he just i think respected like you know that kind of real like old school kind of talent which i think that they have you know despite their their young age um anna what's any other uh what's the next one you wanted to get into um so i would like to call up and listen to the hey this is the extended mix on this one um but this was just another um track that really stood out to me um i read that kendrick lamar actually sampled it on section 180 um but to me this sort of extended mix yeah was like a definitely a highlight of the album these parts where they get really kind of dreamlike and kind of spacious mm-hmm. it's almost like like a magical round you know where one person starts singing and then somebody else starts singing at the second verse and then the third person starts singing again just like built on harmony in this very, very soulful, rhythmic way. This is a great part of this song. Yeah, it's, it's, man, their their vocal harmonies are so, I think, unique, the way that they, they harmonize with each other. And like you said, they do a lot of cool layering and unlayering of stuff. Um, it's, a, it's just a very subtle album. I think it, it's sometimes it's, it might be easy to miss like how cool some of the structural stuff they're doing from a songwriting aspect is I'll put I'll I'll clip that here that's the extended yeah, mix okay. so what should we listen to next Anna um let's do um in the meantime I am so glad Thank this ended up on your on your short list of clips. It's one of my favorite tracks from the whole album. I really enjoyed the the vocals on this, this sort of pure stripped down. Um, and it almost kind of reminds me of like 
a soliloquy. I, one thing I love about this album is like how they all sort of seem to be like telling these stories to the sky. Um, And this is just like a really beautiful example of that. I also love these little, um, little textures at the, at the beginning. They use a lot of awesome, like really very kind of dated synth sounds. Yeah. And I mean that in a good yeah. way. Like they're, yeah. they're very like cool to me. Yeah. The, the, the gaming nerd in me <laughs> loves that. <laughs> I just love how it um, sort of shifts to much fuller sound here after just listening to the the single voice mm-hmm. at the beginning. A very like jazz uh, arrangement type voices after a pretty simple pentatonic groove. I, I similarly love that section of the song. That is that is very eight bit mm-hmm. kind of like sixteen bit. They actually have one video that's kind of an I can't remember the song, but it's kind of an eight bit style video, and they do mention that they all kind of grew up on like you know Nintendo, Super Nintendo, as as young children. I love wow. that. That's that's a very <laughs> nice specific reference point for understanding where they came from composing this album. Actually, Jason, I did finally think of a song that I've been trying to think of. There's a song called Right Here by this group called SWV, like a 90s uh, R&B group Hmm. that samples Human Nature by Michael Jackson, which also, I think Human Nature kind of reminds me of this album Hmm. off Thriller. Very nice. Something that really stuck out to me about this song is sort of how it goes a lot of places. Like in these moments, it's sort of twinkling, but at the beginning, it's um, very much focused on the voices. But now, as we hear all three of them come together, it just sort of transforms the sound of mm-hmm. it. It's like a different song from when it began, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I was going to bring up a similar point, but that. It was. A, it's an interesting contrast between Frank Ocean because um, they do sort of tend to end up. And these songs, the running times on all these songs are fairly long too. A lot of them in the five, four, five, six minute range. But they sort of evolve so like effortlessly that by the time you're in the middle of them, you sort of forgot what came before. Whereas on the Frank Ocean album, like I think purposely, like the transitions and and, and things that are introduced are like very stark. Like when they come in, it's like, Mm -hmm. wow, you notice Mm -hmm. it. And this, it's sort of like, you sort of just get in this flow of their kind of like dreamlike harmonies and these kind of cloudy, like synth textures. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh wow, like 
they're totally doing something different now. And I didn't even really notice when it switched. Mm -hmm. Well, and even listening to this album as a whole, um, there were even moments where like between songs, like the flow between songs almost runs (laughs) in a similar way to that too, where like the, obviously uh, each song is distinct, but they run so nicely together and um, just sort of like a, the album is pouring over you and each song is sort of pouring over you. Just like it comes together in a very nice way. Definitely. Um, any other ones you wanted to, to talk about? I have definitely one that I wanted to play before we get done, but um, there's, um, I there's think, a lot of great songs on this. Yeah, there are. I think those are all the ones that I sent to, to Jason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Matt, if you've got any yeah. suggestions, I'm ready to queue up a couple. Yeah, I I think this is probably my favorite song in the album, though it's kind of hard for me to pick specific songs out of this because it's it sort of just, I tend to listen to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the last song is Native Land, uh, which is a, you know, kind of, like you said, being sort of transported. Like this is uh, sort of, I think, about a trip to Africa. And uh, I think it does a lot of the great things that this this, this group does very well, which is sort of, sort of transports you into sort of a different uh i don't know what sonic picture um and i think i don't know i just i just love this song because it kind of as you kind of mentioned like times right now i I personally feel very closed in you know what i mean you can't travel and you you stay in your house Mm -hmm. a lot and i think there's sort of a spaciousness and sort of an idea of like travel and um going places on this album that i like a lot native land really hit a lot of those those kind of spots for me reminds me of like i don't know like a pretty good peter gabriel song in terms of production like a like a wide soundscape just cut by a single voice yeah i could definitely see some parallels to peter gabriel i didn't that didn't occur to maybe me, but... maybe not in subject matter but <laughs> yeah oh man when they go up like there wow so pretty i mean and that's such a kind of banal like observation or whatever but uh i don't know i just feel good when i listen to this album you know what i mean it puts mm. me in a very good headspace and um, yeah something something all of us need a little bit of yeah it's just it's extremely calming music to me and uh it, it is a little it's sometimes i think it's a little tough to discuss because um like i said it's very subtle and and i think there is a lot of really kind of advanced musicianship and, and harmonies and songwriting that's going on sort of under the surface, but it, 
it just kind of floats by like it's almost i just imagine like watching clouds go by you know what i mean on like summer day kind of when i can tell um so yeah uh king or we are king we are king the album um like i said it's been a a favorite of mine since i kind of discovered it a few years ago and um, i'm glad you guys dug it It, it, it's been a really uh, a great album for me uh over these past couple years they are supposedly working on new material but they seem to have sort of an odd they don't seem super careerist like they don't i don't know they don't seem to like go out of their way to get press and things like that and i know that anita one of them is left and now it's just the sisters um but it'll be interesting to see where they go because i think they are a, kind of a unique talent um it's kind of a pity that obviously for many reasons that prince died but i think his you know it would have been cool if they could have continued that mentorship because i think you know mm-hmm. he could have obviously brought a lot to the table just in terms of advice and and things like that but um yeah i just think it's a it's a fantastic record to me and i, I really grown to love it yeah, no, and I I was so glad to be introduced to this because like I feel like it'll definitely be in sort of my regular rotation of albums now. Um, every now and then, you know, there's an album that relaxes me and helps me just sort of feel good about myself that I remember, you know, and you're like, oh, this exists and <laughs> you come <laughs> back to it and it's just such a pleasant experience. Yeah, I mean, that's, and there's, you know, we we could all use that, you know, and uh so I'm glad, I'm glad I'm glad you guys dug it. I didn't know uh, I wasn't sure how how you guys would like it, but I'm I'm super glad that you did because I I've, I've been really enthusiastic about it. Um, uh, and also just Anna, thanks thanks so much um, for being on the show. We really appreciate it. It's been a great discussion, and and obviously uh, thanks for picking uh, Blonde. I think it's it's a fantastic album. It was it was really fun to kind of you know dig into that, especially from your perspective as somebody that sort of you know, you were there right at the launch and it's, it's been a meaningful album right from like the day it was released for you. And so I think that's a, that's a cool perspective for, I think Jason and I to hear. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. All right. Ana Diaz. Thanks so much. Um, Ana's got a appointment here coming up. She was uh, nice enough to work us into her schedule. Um, but we obviously want to be respectful of your time. You got a meeting you need to go to. So we're going to let you go. And um, Jason and I are going to stick around for uh, community questions, which we always appreciate. So once again, Ana, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Like this was this was great, and it's always fun to to try a new piece of Mimax content. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And everyone can support that patreon.com slash Minmax. So you know, support uh, support what we got going incredible on here. Incredible plug, man! Incredible. Thank you so much yeah. for being on. What, what is <laughs> what is? Thank segue? you. Thank yeah. you for helping me uh, yeah. work through all of this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This was for. All right, thanks, Anna. Take care. Take care. Bye. So, Crossfade listeners, this uh, is a free podcast available to the public. Please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you're listening to it. But as Matt mentioned, you can find us on patreon.com slash minmax. You can support a whole bunch of great content that Ben and the rest of the team do in addition to our show. And as a bonus, you get to suggest questions and songs for us to listen to as we outro the show. Um, And I'm going to pull up the first one from this week, which is Michael Lynch, uh, minmax supporter Michael Lynch says, hey, Cross Friends, which... I do appreciate that somebody has come up with a, with a good comparison to um, computer-loving cohorts. I feel like the, the <laughs> team has the team has some nicknames, and we used to have Mintraxers, Mintrax suits, but then we changed names. I, I feel like our community is very quick on their feet. Uh, Michael Lynch says, "Quick question: Do any of you have a favorite bassist or bass line? His is Flea, and he wants us to check out the bass line from the Chili Peppers' Instrumental Number One, um, which I can pull up if you want, Matt. But I guess core of the question: favorite bassists and or bass lines." Yeah, boy, man, I have so many. It's tough. Um, I think of people that I really um, 
impacted me. I would say Getty Lee from Rush uh, when I was very young and kind of learning to play. I think later, uh, you know, James Jamerson, uh, who was bassist essentially in the house band for Motown Records mm-hmm. um, as a session guy. I think he's fantastic. I had a, you know, when I was a little kid, I wanted to like learn all these like, you know, hard rock and whatever, you know, punk type stuff, metal. And my, my, uh, my teacher made me learn uh, Rescue Me by Martha and the Vandellas. Ooh. Um, that bass line, which is just a very good bass line. I've always, that bass line into, was very impactful to me because I learned it at a young age. And it was kind of like, I think he was trying to show me like you can be more tasteful and not try to play so much, you know what I mean? And, and have a better groove, which was probably, I didn't, you know, learn that until many years later. Um, another guy that was very impactful for me, um, Rick Danko from the band. Hmm. Um, and he has a lot. I mean, I think, you know, like the beginning of like up on Cripple Creek is a great groove. Um, and then uh, Peter Hook from Joy Division and New Order, um, again, who kind of played in a different style, a very melodic kind of style up on the neck. It was almost more like a, a second guitar. Um, but like, you know, the ba- learning the bass lines like She's Lost Control by Joy Division was a very big thing for me. And, and he kind of you know opened my eyes to like different possibilities on the instrument as well. So those are a few. There's a, there's a ton of bass players I love, but those are some of the ones I thought of right away. Yeah, I think you got both of both of the ones I was going to suggest, which was um, Jamerson was he's like the reason I'm still playing bass as a kid. I got into it from, you know, Mark Hoppus of Blink-182 and uh, Pete Wentz from Fallout Boy and just kind of the music I was listening to as a kid. But as I started to grow and learn and decide that I wanted to learn more about bass and making it more melodic and make it more interesting to play, Jamerson was was it, you know, uh, his work with mm-hmm. the Jackson 5, obviously huge. Um, and uh, and also Rick Danko. I like I said, I fell into the band in high school and his he's just very simple, straightforward, but very memorable lines. Nothing to, you know, mm-hmm. you've got the Jockos and the Wootens of the world that are incredible at their instruments and they know how to operate them as an extension of their bodies. But it's like it doesn't end up being like something that I can aspire to or something that I really like love to listen to, but I appreciate the virtuosity that goes into it, you know, not to disrespect yeah. them at all, but it's just oh, like, no, no, no. it's not music I listen to uh, in my, in my spare time. You know, it's not like, Oh, mm-hmm. that's, that's a hell of a jam from Jocko. Like hmm, maybe, maybe, maybe sometimes maybe Birdland. You know, um, I bet Victor Wooten himself wouldn't be mad at you saying James Jamerson. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Like he, I, I guarantee that guy does session work for people we don't even know about and comes mm-hmm. and just plays super straight stuff like that. Well, it's, you know, yeah, it's just like records. foundational, you know, right? Like he he established so much of what we think of as good baselines these days, so. Oh, and to keep it real, I should really say, like, when I was young, Steve Harris from Iron Maiden, uh-huh. um, I think for a metal bass player, he's very melodic. He had that kind of signature, like, dun, 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 kind of gallop mm-hmm. thing. And he had a lot of great kind of melodic lines. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, as I don't know, fourth, fifth grade, I was really into, like, Iron Maiden. So I should, mm-hmm. I should shout out to Steve Harris too. He's an iconic metal bassist. I can have my slightly embarrassing shout out, uh, Tyrion Porter of the Doobie brothers. He played, um, uh, without love is one of, I think his best bass lines. And he always played with a pick, which is kind of a man after my own heart kind of thing. Um, and he just really rocks every track he's on. He wasn't the, with the band for an incredibly long time, but some of their funkiest stuff is, is him. Nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, everybody, listen to the Doobie Brothers if you haven't caught up on that. Um, and, and realize <laughs> you're, that the, you're the street team for the Doobie Brothers. Man. I am I the, the I am the next generation, and I will supersede all others. Um, 
Our next question comes from Travis McGoffey. I hope that I'm pronouncing that correctly. Hello, Crossfaders. Uh, I've adapted this question just a little bit. I hope that's okay, Travis. If you had to recommend music to someone you know nothing about, but you had to be reasonably certain that they would like it, what would you recommend? Travis's suggestion is a band called Sharks Keep Moving. He calls them a chill, non-obtrusive guitar-based band that uh, he hasn't found anyone who just straight up doesn't like them. Hmm, that's a tough... I mean, the Beatles is such a stock answer for Mm -hmm. that. You know, because I, I do think the Beatles, like, even when I played it for, like, my daughter, which is really little, there's just a certain amount of, I don't know. Those melodies are just very indelible, and I think right. kids pick up on that. Right. Adults pick up on that. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I'm a big fan of, like, 70s reggae music. I don't think, like, like I'm trying to think of maybe, like, uh, Toots and the Maytals, Toots in Memphis. Like, that's just a super great, accessible record. I think mm-hmm. almost any 60s soul stuff to me is, like, I don't know. I just can't see not liking that music, you know, like classic soul and R and B from like the sixties through the mid seventies um, and Motown stuff like that. I think those are just kind of just very yeah. timeless to me there. It's incredibly agreeable music. Mine that I have not had a uh, miss yet on is recommending queen. I feel like I don't know anybody, you know, people are either attracted to or repulsed by their whole theatrics and the drama of their music. But like, there is at least one queen song that almost everybody in the world loves, you know? Yeah. And maybe they don't realize that it's queen. Maybe it's not typical queen. Maybe it's not the most overblown flamboyant version of queen, but it's always like rock solid. Everybody who likes any kind of music, any genre will probably like something from queen. That, that, that's, that's always yeah. my go-to is like, I don't know anything about you first date or whatever. I'm going to recommend you listen to blank. And it's, it's always queen for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'd say a lukewarm Queen fan, but definitely, mm-hmm. um, I think they have, you know, like when I was a little kid, I remember just whenever I would sometimes like, you know, uh, another one bites the dust would come on the radio. Right. I always thought that was like really badass. You know what I mean? Like when, well, like that's because it is. Backseat, you know? Yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So no, I can see that. They have, they have indelible singles for sure. They're, they're, you know, they became icons for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carly Wickle asks, and I believe this might be Carly's first question to us. Um, what artists do you know that keep tinkering with their sound even after they've found a winning formula? I was interested in how this question came about and it's because Carly was perusing through the crossfade community playlist on Spotify. That's in the show notes. Uh, and she noticed that we have some coheed on there, coheed and Cambria. And, uh, and she mentioned how their talent is what caught her in the first place. Uh, quote, that's what hooks me, seeing a band make it and then continue to test and tinker in order to make music they want to create versus staying in a specific tone. Uh, any bands that y'all feel that you love that do this? Um, I guess, you know, the first one that comes to mind is, um, you know, Neil Young has taken a lot of weird detours over the years, which I, they're not all great, but I just, I'm mm-hmm. glad that he does it, whether that's doing like a synthesizer vocoder album on trans or you know, trying to do a country album or, you know, going from really like loud feedback to mm-hmm. like really soft folk. Um, one, I think one probably, you know, it's not an uncommon pick would be, uh, I think what Radiohead did on Kid A um, coming out of their very successful kind of early career. And then they kind of, you know, built this sort of like indie kind of prog thing with OK Computer that's a very guitar heavy record. And then they kind of stripped everything back to this kind of like, you know, disjointed kind of more electronic stuff on Kid A and and you know every album of theirs kind of has evolution to me, so that that would be one. I mean, I think that that I, you know, I just admire how they've conducted their career. You know what I mean? I think that they they did what they mm-hmm. wanted to do and and have remained a very successful rock band, which is is very hard to despite you know the fact that they didn't do things that were maybe made sense from a commercial or career aspect. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like that's one of the things that I heard about Metallica just in passing. Again, I am a Metallica newbie. Listen to our previous episode about Metallica where you learn all about how much of a Metallica newbie I am, but that a lot of the criticism about their later career, and it was kind of the Aerosmith effect you were talking about where they found what they were good at, they found what sold, they found what packed stadiums, and they did it for the rest of their careers. Yeah. You know, damned be the musical, like whatever artistic pursuit they might have wanted to to engage in they just like they went with what sold and that is the smartest thing you can do stay get rich stay rich honestly uh, yeah i mean you know they've they've come back to the early days a little bit in the last couple of albums but it's then 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 it's not really new it's more of a return right to, right but you know at a certain point too sometimes i think like you know what a lot of bands like do they have 50 good songs in them you know what i mean they're great songs you right know right I mean? like i think a lot of artists just kind of not that they can't write good material later, but it's mm-hmm. just, you know, for a lot of people, it's going to be that handful, that two dozen, 30, 40 songs that kind yeah. of make your career. Yeah, yeah. Um, my my recommendation, my answer to this question is King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. They are a band oh, that yeah. in the last 20 years or so has just like, they drill into that psych rock vibe of the 60s and 70s and just like hammer it home with original hardware and like really smart production techniques and performances and composition that sounds almost exactly like the stuff you'd hear back then in the most acid rock of vibes. Um, but they, album to album, they almost, I think they might make it like a mandate that the next album is is something at least a good bit different, if not wildly, like 180. Like they put out a metal album a couple of years ago. They've had a couple of folk albums. They've had very like jazzy influenced albums. And of course that, you know, acid rock um, that they sort of built their build their bones on uh i highly read you won't probably hear the same exact sound yeah. or same exact vibe from two different albums from them i've definitely listened to them they come up on my recommendations on spotify yeah, yeah. a lot i one of those man i wish they had a different name i probably would have like listened to them <laughs> a lot more dumb not you're not your bag huh? freshman year stoner name that they're saddled with now for the rest of their lives but um yeah no i've, I've heard some that's one of those things that spotify like on my you know your recommended daily kind of mm-hmm. thing they always kind of push them because i think it you probably are. relates to stuff i do like so i should yeah. check them out more you listen to enough blue oyster cult and they will find you um, exactly <laughs> uh our final question comes from zane dukes who asks where does the three six mafia sorry i am really showing my ass with this question where does three six mafia not the three six mafia fall in the pantheon of rappers please remember that they are academy award winners similarly i feel like I hear their references to slob on my knob all over the place. Is this the most prolific verse of all hip hop? <laughs> I don't, wow, I don't know about that. Slob on my knob, yeah, tear the club, tear the club up. Um, yeah, I guess this is interesting because I think they're probably, in retrospect, pretty impactful. And I didn't probably sense that at the time. Um, I think I came out of like an era of rap, like, you know, where it was very focused around New York stuff, you know, like we've done Nas on this show and people like that. Um, and then there was kind of the LA stuff like NWA and then all the nineties, you know, like stuff that came out of the West coast. that was great. Like, you know, G funk and Dre and Snoop and all that stuff. So I wasn't other than like the ghetto boys and like rap a lot out of some of the Houston stuff. I wasn't super up on like the stuff that was coming out of the deep South, like Atlanta and, and Memphis um and so yeah i mean i think now in retrospect given that like atlanta has really been sort of the the epicenter of hip-hop for the last like 10 15 years um that that you know those groups that were sort of doing that super really kind of dark weird southern stuff back then like you know and other groups like mjg and eight ball um but yeah i think they are an important band i think probably more so uh, in retrospect it was great that you know 
they won for It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp, I think was like amazing. And like, you know, Juicy J has done a lot of really good solo stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was definitely, I, I wasn't, I, I feel bad in retrospect because I've kind of caught up with it, but I didn't really see the Southern thing coming as much as I probably should have um, at the time. But now, I mean, I would say they're foundational to like the South in the same way that like, you know, somebody like Nas or, or Rakim would be considered, you know, in, in terms of East Coast hip hop. So mm-hmm. I think they're pretty important, probably historically, more so than people give them credit for. Sure. Uh, I got to say on my list of top tens, they're somewhere between like three and six, probably. Okay. That can <laughs> that concludes, I believe, our community questions segment. Uh, our next bit that I'll play over our outro is um, "Car Alarm" by Too Many Zoos. It is a song suggested by Harrison Cook. Uh, I also have listened to Too Many Zoos before. I believe they yeah. have a song called "Donut Shop" uh, that is just also similarly very funky, very like hip hoppy. Yeah, it was cool. It's almost it reminds me of sort of like a New Orleans like third line meets like, yeah, yeah. hip hop, and then also the baritone sax just reminds me of the band Morphine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, strongly because like they, you introduced they, that me to that band a few years ago. Oh yeah, did you, did you end up like listening to, like Cure for Pain? Yes, I did. That... Actually, I haven't for a couple of years now, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. When I hear a baritone sax, I just I never remembered that instrument until then. Hmm. So this was this is a really fun song. This is like just a super good groove. It is. Thank you very much, Harrison Cook, and I'll let you take us out, Matt. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, obviously, Ana Diaz for being a great guest and and with coming through with a great pick. As always, we thank uh, you know thank you for your support of the show, your support of MinMax, and taking the time to listen. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks. Um, I'm on Twitter at Matt Helgeson, and Jason is at Nintendoofus. Thank you so much for plugging. There we go. Me. Yeah, exactly. So follow us. Um, yeah, and we'll you know we'll keep you informed. Hopefully, uh, you know we'll uh, get some more community feedback and great questions like we've had the last couple of weeks. So we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.